welcome to Hub and Flow, a podcast produced by Natural Gas Intelligence. On a mission to provide transparency to the natural gas market, Hub and Flow focuses on key fundamentals driving the price of natural gas and LNG in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Natural Gas Intelligence, or NGI, is a subscription-based price reporting agency, which means we provide trusted and independent natural gas pricing and news for the North American market. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of NGI's Hub & Flow. I'm Letitia Gonzalez, NGI Price and Markets Editor. And joining me today are NGI Senior Markets Editor, Kevin Dobbs, and from our Markets Analyst Team, Josiah Kleindens and Justin Maves. Now, in the last episode of NGI's Hub & Flow, you heard from our Director of Strategy and Research, Patrick Rao. And Pat discussed a lot of the big mergers and acquisitions that we've seen take place in the industry here in the last couple of months, and whether those tie-ups may be setting the stage for more activity among some of the larger ENPs here in the coming months and years. Pat also provided us with an early look at 2024 producer activity especially considering that lower 48 production is already surprising a lot of people in the market here in the very early days of the winter season. And finally, Pat wrapped up his episode of Hub & Flow with some insight into the still-evolving LNG landscape and what lies ahead next year and beyond based on what he heard in third-quarter earnings calls. And there were certainly a lot of those. And we ourselves here at NGI, Kevin, Josiah, and Justin, and myself, what we want to do is take you on a dive into what some of the midstream companies talked about during their third-quarter earnings calls. We listened to a lot of those as well. And so if you didn't, that's okay. We're here to give you the Cliff Notes versions of that. And so with that, let's go ahead and kick things off. I'll start. Some, one of the biggest themes that we heard from the midstream companies is all of the growth that we've seen coming out of the Permian Basin. And so what this means for midstream companies that are looking to capitalize on that increased production and connecting that supply to markets. We know that from the EIA and their latest drilling productivity report that production from the Permian is not expected to slow. Even as some of the other basins may pull back here in the next you know, several weeks or early next year, take a modest step down in production, the Permian is still expected to keep growing. And so by the time the calendar actually flips to 2024, the Permian could be producing close to 20 BCF per day of dry natural gas. Now, that's not even including the associated gas that's coming out of the Permian, because as you all know, most of the supply that is coming from the Permian is, is the activity is actually tied to the price of oil, not natural gas. And so we've got a lot of midstream companies that are looking to connect that increased natural gas supply with demand markets, you know, along the Gulf Coast and elsewhere. I know that Whitewater Midstream recently brought online a 500 mmcf per day expansion of its Whistler pipeline. Now that came online in September and that moves Permian gas from the Waha hub in West Texas to over to Ogle Dulce in the southern part of the state. But Kinder Morgan is also working to expand its Permian Highway pipeline. And so that is another 500 mmcf per day that's coming online here, supposed to be by the end of the year. So we're keeping a close eye on that. Now, these are, of course, expansions of existing 
pipelines, but we also have Matterhorn Express. That's a two and a half BCF per day pipeline that's expected to come online in the second half of next year. So all of those projects are still progressing. We're keeping an eye on those, you know, but in addition to the long haul pipelines that are being expanded, we're also seeing a lot of gas processing projects that are underway. I know MPLX is working to bring online its sixth processing plant in the Permian in the first half of 2024. And then they've got another one that they're bringing online in the second half. Enterprise Products Partners, they're obviously a very big NGL processing midstream company. And so they're so bullish on the Permian, they're actually looking to spend upwards of $3 billion in 2024 to bring on a couple of new gas processing plants, but also an NGL fractionator and a 550-mile natural gas liquids pipeline. So Kevin, maybe you can kind of talk us a little bit about what's driving all of this growth coming out of the Permian and really out of a lot of other basins as well. Sure. So speaking of dry gas production and a lot of the infrastructure built and being built around it or being proposed to be built around it is connected to the expectation of continued strong demand for U.S. LNG and new export facilities along the Gulf Coast that are the first of which will begin to open next year, along with some expansions and continued opening of new plants in in future years. Demand, you know, the wake of uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine and global developments such as strikes in in Australia at an LNG facility there, the Israeli-Hamas conflict, which has interrupted some natural gas flows at, at points in Israeli fields. All of these things have the market and producers in particular bracing for long-term LNG demand. And that's largely why so much of the production, not only in the Permian, but elsewhere and other prolific fields or in, in basins and shale areas, while a lot of that is happening, it is to feed the expectation of long-term demand and long-term stronger prices. Prices, of course, this year have have largely been relatively weak, uh, at least compared to last year. Futures prices holding below the $4 level most of this year, with the exception of you know a few points last winter. So it really, it's, it's about long-term expectation of fueling that export growth from the Gulf Coast while continuing to support steady domestic natural gas demand for both cooling and heating needs. You mentioned oil. Of course, the uh, U.S. has become a prominent oil exporter as well. And global oil demand remains strong as expected to through this decade and into next decade, in part because of growing populations, advancing economies, and in part because of you know the, the massive economy that China has become and oil needs there. Also, though, however, uh, for, for their own reasons and part of geopolitical issues, prices OPEC and allies have pulled back on their production targets and have actually scaled back the overall output that they're producing this year. And that has increased the uh, globe's re- reliance on, on oil coming from the Permian. And along with that comes strong associated gas production. For those most people know, but for, for associated gas is produced alongside oil and it's particularly prominent in the Permian Basin. There are three major oil plays that are responsible for associated gas there. And the EIA has has said that since 2018, associated gas from the Permian has tripled and is expected to continue to be strong through this year and into next. 
so the, the Permian Basin uh, is definitely home base to both strong dry gas production and associated gas production, as you noted. And a lot of it has to do with global demand. Yeah, that's right. You know, and you talked a lot about LNG and some of the global factors, but in addition to shipping LNG across the world, we're also, you know, sending gas just south of the border to our neighbors in Mexico. Joe, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. So we're averaging about seven and a half to eight and a half BCF a day daily exports to Mexico from American pipelines across the border. That consumption on the Mexico side is expected to increase. Currently, we're already supplying 70% of their gas demand daily. They plan to build even more natural gas burning units for power. But a big one that everyone's looking at are the possible LNG projects being done very soon. One that's really close to having their export facilities online is Energia Coastal Azul. And their first phase is an additional 400 MCF a day of demand. That that will come from actually California supply gas, most notably probably through El Paso. But on the horizon, you also have projects such as Sojuero LNG or Mexico Pacific. But that's, you know incumbent upon Socrato pipeline and Sierra Madre pipeline being done. And looking into the future, you're looking at a total possible LNG increase demand from Mexico alone to equal about 6.8 BCF a day total. So, you know, that's, that's almost double the uh, increase in demand from last year's export figures. So there's a lot of gas there that, will be demanded. So production has to go up if we want to support that. And producers will probably try and meet that demand because of the contracts overseas. Just the differential basis is there. Right. So definitely a lot of demand growing in Mexico. And like you mentioned, they get most of their gas from the United States. And so, but then we've also got some demand markets here also within the United States that are fighting for you know, those U.S. supplies. And Justin, maybe you can talk a little bit because, Joe, you mentioned California, but Justin, you're in California. So maybe you can talk a little bit about kind of like how all of this supply, this supply competition that we've already seen, but maybe how it might play out here in the in the coming years. Well, taking a look at like the takeaway capacity, California's demand, what we've seen, so Cal City Gate prices, you know, and the, that above six dollars right over the last year so so cal city gate prices start climbing we instinctively look at what's going on in west texas i mean we said something about what's going on with the permian producers long term they're all preparing for lng demand to come over the next year and some impacts that we saw in short term were you know numerous interruptions on this permian source uh, supply chain I mean, PHP was curtailed quite a few times. We saw negative WAH prices multiple times this year. I think we saw sub 50, 50 cents per M. You know, this slew of maintenance impacts started rolling over through from March of this year throughout the summer. California is expecting a mild winter, you know, precipitation up north, equal chances in Southern California. So we should theoretically have some alleviation from heating demand. But 
Californian market can't take advantage of this this production because of transportation constraints, constraints and limited capacity. I mean, through the last three years, 2019 through 2022, consumer demand for gas is down by about 82 BCF total over the last three years. Um, industrial gas use in California has been declining annually, but it's still relatively flat overall for consumer gas. Now, as far as the uh, generate power generation, I mean, California had tried to retire three gas-fired plants that were supposed to be decommissioned this year, and that was delayed again for another three years. So again, year-over-year demand is relatively flat for power generation through 2022 data. I expect that to actually, you know, stay relatively flat or decrease over the next couple of years, um, but we're still not there yet. And big impact is storage. SoCal gas core storage is at its lowest point in three years uh, at the end of this past March. And we saw what that did to prices. Um, Letty, you reported on it numerous times this year. Since then, you know, injections have rallied over the last eight, eight months at like 1.3, 1.4 BCF per week. So uh, we're starting to see that we may need to rely on uh, winter storage or storage this winter. That'll hopefully alleviate some pricing pressures this year. Are going into next year. Right. Well, is the Permian Basin really where California gets the bulk of its supply, or is it getting some supply from Western Canada? Are there any pipeline projects there that can also kind of help the supply situation for, for that state and the region as a whole? Well, there's there's quite a few projects online. I mean, Northern California gets a lot of this their gas out of Sumas, and there are quite a few projects that are coming online. TC Energy has the Coastal Gas Link, which is pretty much mechanically complete. It's connecting the northern BC gas down to the Pacific for it's supposed to be in, intended for you know Canada LNG, Cedar LNG, their liquefaction plant. That's about 2.1 BCF per day. Those flows may impact because since it connects to the West Coast pipeline into the Pacific Northwest, so we may see some eco prices, uh, price movement in what is it, Northwest Sumas. So we're closely monitoring that. Right. Okay. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. We've talked a lot about the Permian, but let's shift gears to the Haynesville. Unlike the Permian, which is the activity there is largely tied to the price of oil, the Haynesville is directly tied to the price of natural gas. And we've seen a significant decline in activity there. If you take a look at the rig count from Baker Hughes as of November 17th, the rig count was down 46% year over year. So only 38 rigs currently running in that shale play. And a lot of that, like I mentioned, is because it's tied to the price of gas. And we've heard that break-even costs in the play are anywhere around the $3 range, depending where you're at in the play. They can be a little bit more than that. And we're just not at that level. We did see record high prices last year, but looking at the Ford strip today, Henry Hub December prices aren't even at $3. And then looking at a couple of other locations that are key to Haynesville activity like Perryville and NGPL Texoke, those prices aren't faring much better. And just taking a look at the Ford curve, 
we're looking at sub $3 pricing for, you know, as far as an average for 2024. And it's really not until we get into 2025 that we see a meaningful step up in prices with 2025 prices averaging at about $3.75. But producers, you know, Kevin, you mentioned producers and thus, you know, midstream companies are still very bullish on the long-term outlook for natural gas. So Josiah, you you listened to have quite a few calls from Haynesville midstream companies. You want to talk a little bit about what you're seeing and what the companies are hearing from their producer customers? One producer that stood out as very bullish to me was Comstock. They're uh, aggressively developing their Western Haynesville acreage and they put so much drilling and completion capex into it. You know, it just completely wiped out their uh, free cash flow. They still report 12 million in uh, income, but their drilling completion was almost double of what their free cash flow was. And they've increased their production guidance for the next quarter even by 5%. On the other hand, other producers like Chesapeake, you know, they hit their target for this quarter. They actually went over it for production. But next quarter, they re- plan to reduce their production by 2%. So a lot of producers looking to just maintain production, but if they can swing it, uh, like Comstock, they seem to be positioning themselves to further develop the Haynesville to meet that anticipated uh, supply increase. I mean, uh, demand increase. So, yeah, everyone's just planning on the Gulf Coast LNG expansions. Yeah, it looks like they're just kind of like waiting for that demand to hit. I know DT Midstream, they've got they've got a couple of other projects as well in the Haynesville looking to to connect Haynesville supply with LNG markets. Do you want to add anything on that, Joe? Yeah, so uh, DT Midstream, their phase one for LEAP or Louisiana Energy Access Pipeline, that is actually now in service. So LEAP's increased from one BCF a day to 1.3 BCF a day. They stated that phase two of LEAP is on track for first quarter 2024 and phase three for third quarter 2024. When all three phases are, you know, the next two phases are done, you're looking at a 1.9 BCF a day of transport for Haynesville production to the Gulf Coast. They are also building a 1 BCF a day interconnect with uh, they call a Gillis Access Project. So it's interconnect with a lot of interstate pipelines, providing further access of Haynesville gas for Louisiana industrial and uh, LNG gas demand. Another one that DT Midstream is working on in the Haynesville is their Blue Union system, which they look to increase by 400 MMCF a day. And this is to further support increased gathering and gas treatment for anticipated production in the Haynesville. Right, right. Awesome. Well, yeah, definitely a lot of activity going on, a lot of projects coming up. Anybody else have anything on Haynesville before we maybe move on to another region? Well, I would just add on, I mean, Haynesville, like, I think, as Joe said, that, I mean, it's flat, flattish or slightly up. And with gains elsewhere, production overall, it just continues to climb. I mean, we were above 103 BCF per day this summer. Then 
104 this fall, now here in November above 105. And, and this is according to Wood McKenzie's estimates. And Bloomberg had an estimate of 106 BCF per day at one point this month already in November. So even though there is some some there are some prominent companies talking about pullbacks in the Haynesville, the, the rig counts are down, the overall production just continues to climb. And there is just that it's almost across the board expectation that the the global demand is just going to be rising substantially in years to come and that and they want to maintain that you know strong the strong levels and maybe even stronger levels going into 2024 right and i think maybe this is something pat mentioned on his podcast too it's not like flipping on a light switch and and there the production is you know it does take months to actually bring on a well. And so they don't want, they're kind of waiting in the wings for the demand to hit, but we do have to kind of get for now, at least through some pretty mild weather and and low prices before we see that meaningful increase here next year. I think you're exactly right. Inability to flip a switch one way or the other, that's, that's one of the big drivers of why, why they're maybe maintaining or leveling off, but leveling off at a very high level. Right, right. I just want to add one more thing about Haynesville, though. So on, on top of production being flat, though, while the rig count has decreased, the drilling and completion efficiencies have increased. So it's very similar to the Marcellus. They're obviously learning how to maximize efficiency for each well. So it's just kind of further proof that they are at least technically gearing up for, you know, the expansion for a uh, Gulf coast demand. Yeah. The efficiencies in the, the technology, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah, and we could sort of see it in, in what is it? Haynesville's historical prices. I mean, they've been flat pretty much like around two thirty for the last year, almost. It's a good indicator. So let's switch to another region, <laughs> because we've finally started to hear some activity. I know the, the Marcellus and Appalachia in general has been, you know, pretty quiet over the last couple of years. But finally, MVP, Mountain Valley Pipeline, finally got its approval to finish construction. That project is nearly done, coming online. Joe, you've ta- you've d- done a lot on MVP and listened to a lot of calls. What What are you hearing on that front? Yeah, so I actually live near the MVP and the Virginia side. So I get to actually see pipeline segments being moved on and off of uh, some land and then into the right-of-way. So it's been a long, long process of watching that happen. They have moved their in-service date back again to first quarter 2024. They cited trouble finding right-of-way crews with the uh, proper experience, actually. But they stated that they now have uh, 4,500 employees working on finishing the right-of-way. And then stated that by year-end, 2023, that will be reduced down to 1,500 employees. And then during the completion phase, before it comes on service, about 560 employees. People are really anxious and anticipating the online service date. For example, EQT already has a firm commitment of 1.2 BCF a day for MVP. Its capacity is 2 BCF a day. So, you know, other producers are going to have to slice up the pie on the other uh, 800 MCF a day. But that's not the only project going on in Appalachia. Let's see. 
Ecotrans also announced that they are going to expand Ohio Valley Connector, increasing it another 300 mmcf a day. And then one last thing for Ecotrans, their next project sites are set on MVP Southgate so they can get MVP gas even further into the Southeast market. And that's already been approved by FERC. It's possible they could see similar public backlash to that one, though. DT Midstream, they also, of course, they have their projects going on in Haynesville. They also have projects announced for Marcellus. They're going to be expanding their Nexus pipeline another 400 mmcf a day. And that will bring that total capacity just over 2.4 bcf a day. So obviously, everyone's expecting production increase in Marcellus once these projects come online. And, you know, Nexus gas transmission goes to the Midwest and even in Canada by way of uh, Ontario and uh, Detroit. They've also stated in their call, they're in active discussions with current and prospective customers and, uh, you know, producers or end users in the Marcellus to expand their Stonewall pipeline, Millennium pipeline, and all their other gathering systems in Marcellus and Utica. So there's a lot going on. Yeah, definitely a lot of activity picking up out of that basin. One of the things that we had talked about when MVP was finally approved and cleared to be completed was whether the regulatory environment in that region had sort of thawed toward the natural gas industry and thus, you know, paving the way for more projects coming to fruition. Kevin, you you covered Williams. And so I know that they had some big announcements that they announced on their earnings call. You want to talk a little bit about their projects? Oh, yeah. Well, not necessarily diving too far into the, the, the specifics of the projects, but what, what Williams has, they have several things in the works and it, all of it is about building out infrastructure to to transport more gas. They they uh, as much as anybody uh, have been bullish on the long term, the demand long term demand side of of natural gas, um, including the uh, both domestically and and the uh, export demand that's expected in the next several years. So I, I'm I'm not de- not re- ready to delve into the specifics of each of the projects, but it, they're sort of in expansion mode diving into one project after the next to accommodate that long-term demand. Yeah, I think definitely the long-term positive outlook for natural gas is felt among all the way up and down the the value chain. Anybody else have any closing thoughts? I know we're coming up at 30 minutes, so I just wanted to give everybody an opportunity to, if there was anything else that you wanted to, any big themes that you saw from from the midstream companies? There's a lot of anticipation, as, as we've all been discussing, for 2024. A lot of projects coming on, a lot of LNG projects coming online. So we're looking forward to diving deeper into it next year. Yeah. Well, I appreciate all you guys joining me. And obviously, we want to thank our listeners for taking time out of your day to listen to Hub & Flow. For all of the news and projections for 2024, you can visit our website at naturalgasintel.com. On behalf of Kevin, Josiah, and Justin, I'd like to thank you all for joining us today. And with that, uh, you guys take care and we'll catch you next time. Thank you. Dependable data drives informed business decisions. Trust NGI to provide your natural gas and LNG data for North America. 
If your business requires daily, weekly, or midweek pricing data, forward curves, or flow data, NGI has a reliable product suite to support you. Visit natgasintel.com backslash services to understand what we have to offer and how we can help you and your business today. Thank you for listening to NGI's Hub & Flow podcast today. We encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and please do share it with your colleagues. A trusted provider of natural gas news, data, and pricing information for North America, NGI offers subscription-based products. Please visit natgasintel.com if you are interested in NGI and our services. If you would like to dive deeper into this subject, additional resources are available on our website as well. Just visit natgasintel.com and click on the resources tab to find the podcast page.